Welcome to the Global Tech Leaders Podcast, where we help business leaders and individual contributors with actionable insights to hit their number and figure out the nuances of truly operating a business globally today, squeezing the essence of the lessons learned from the planet's top tech leaders. This is your guide to joining the fast track to global market scaling. Welcome, I'm Ross Lauder, your host from Single Focus Talent, and I'm joined by our non-exec director, John Quigley, today. Thank you very much. Great to be here. So welcome to today's show. Very excited to have J.B. Kellogg, co-founder and CEO uh, at Madwire. Uh, He founded the company at the age of 28 and has helped grow it to $100 million in revenue and over 5,000 employees. So to say that this is a rocket ship is quite the understatement. Very excited to understand how he's passionate around helping small businesses grow. And he's damn good at it, quite frankly. Three times top CEO award winner by Glassdoor 2016 in 2018, number one digital marketing channel in YouTube in 2020, three-time entrepreneur, 360 award winner, 2017 to 2019, uh, seven-time winner of the Fortune uh, uh, Inc. So should I say Inc. 5000 fastest-growing companies, 2013 to 19. And um, for me, and one, one we uh, gravitate towards is Glassdoor's best place to work in 2019. So. Thank you very much for uh, taking the time to join us today. Really excited to uh, have this discussion. Yeah, thank you, Ross, John. Glad to be here. I'm excited about it. And uh, thanks for the intro. I'm open to, uh, to whatever direction this goes and any value I can add. So thanks for having me. Yeah, really appreciate it. Uh, let's dive, dive right in. So take us through what was your kind of um, motivation for founding uh, Madwire and what's that journey been like and maybe some of the learnings and inflection points that uh, you've witnessed along the way, if you could share that with us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I always had a passion for for marketing and design and sales, really. And so um, I self-taught myself a lot of that stuff coming up through high school and throughout college. And I played college football, which is like a full-time job um, in college. So I didn't have, you know, a lot of time on my hands because it's just so time consuming. But when I finished my uh, my senior year, I had another semester um, that was pretty much open. So I didn't know what to do with myself with all my, my newfound time. And so I went down to a local magazine uh, advertising company that was about a block from campus and just went in and said, hey, you know, I have a passion for, for digital. I, I, I'm pretty talented with design. Do you need any help? I'll work for free. I just want to learn. And they said, well, we really don't need help with design or anything like that. But what we do need is a website. Do you know how to build a website? Um, Then I said, I don't. But if you give me a desk and a computer in a month, I'll figure it out. Um, And so they did. And so I went in every day and I I learned and I I designed the website three or four times before I actually showed it to them. Um, And then when we did the presentation, they absolutely loved it. And at that point, I realized that there wasn't a lot of people that knew how to do that. Um, this was around 2004 at this time. So I, uh, I, I could see the writing on the wall that businesses were moving digital, that they were all needing a website, and the ways of uh, business marketing was changing. And the thing about marketing is, and the beautiful thing about it is businesses will always need marketing. It's like food and water to a business. You have to have it to survive or you just deteriorate and die. And so that's always needed, but the way in which you market is ever changing. And so you could see that the landscape was changing. It was moving digital and there was a big opportunity there. So um, I talked to my dad about it. He had experience starting businesses. He had started a futures and commodities trading company and was very successful there. Um, and he was excited about the opportunity as well, um, but wanted to learn more. And so I started working with him at Traders Network. Um, we traded futures and commodities. I, I learned a lot. I started doing all the digital marketing strategies for that company and growing the company. Um, we started developing software for trading and everything in between. And so we could see, you know, we wanted to start a technology company that was, you know, with the mission of helping small businesses grow and building tools and offering services to help them to do so. And so uh, 2009, um, we decided to do it, the two of us, and we started just the two of us in a small little office and, you know, off to the races from there. And so it's been like a snowball and an evolution um, to get where we are today. Um, But the mission has never really changed and the overall goal has never really changed. So that, that part's been kind of cool. 
I suppose uh, I've gone through a bit of that journey myself. I had the good fortune to work at HubSpot and uh, I, uh, I'm, I'm what I would refer to as a reformed sales guy in that um, I think today it's all about adding that value up front. I think marketing has changed dramatically in the days gone by as the old expression used to go. I know 50% of my marketing works. I just can't tell you which 50%. Um, but, but today that's wildly different because marketing's ultimately accountable and you can measure that dollar the right the way through the funnel in terms of where your digital ad spend goes, where that converts and then where that ultimately leads to a sales conversation and, and yields a, a return on that. Um, and I also think gone are the days of cold calling and how you used to bang the phones as it were and tell the world how great you are and, and hope that somebody would eventually give you a, give you a chance. And, and I was really interested by what you said there around going in and working at a desk and adding that value up front for free because you wanted to learn. And I think that's very much what marketing is today. Could you maybe just take us through what, what transition you're seeing in small businesses? I know marketers in days gone by used to be able to just take out ads in newspapers and billboards and so on and, and hide behind this kind of brand and PR, which is a, a phrase I'm not so uh, comfortable with because I really don't see it as being a value add to a brand. I don't see it as being as accountable. Maybe you could just share with us the, the massive shift you would have seen, certainly as we've become more digitized in, the, in these last 10 years as part of your journey. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's been a huge shift, you know, the initially it was just the move to digital, just even getting a website alone was a huge shift. And then um, initially, you know, the marketing was really for a while there pretty much just Google search ads. And, and that was the, the biggest game in town. And that's all you really needed to do. And eventually it evolved into all kinds of additional channels um, on social media. And, you know, now for a small business, there's so many different channels, you know, you have Google, but you, you know, still, but you have Facebook and Instagram and YouTube, you even have ways, you know, for apps, you have digital billboards and digital radio and digital TV and the list goes on. And so it could be very complex and very complicated. Um, and so um, that's been an evolution. And so I would say as far as where we currently stand, um, what the future looks like, you know, what we've been saying around here is you can't be great without integrate which means you really need to have a fully integrated singular platform now from not just the marketing side of things, but also from the business management side. So you need to really have your payments, your CRM um, integrated in with all of your marketing so that you can truly automate um, as much as possible. And like you said, you know, marketing actually is very simple. It's do more of what's working and do less of what's not the complicated thing is you don't know what's working and what's not. So you have to have a fully integrated platform um, that can talk to each other um, in order to unlock uh, automation, but also to truly understand what's most effective so that you have the full picture of the customer. Where did they come from? How much did it cost to acquire them? And what's their lifetime value? Um, and then be able to build automation for review generation and uh, social media interactions and, and beyond. And so that's a very heavy lift, uh, building a singular platform that, that can truly do all of those things so that a small business has everything they need to both manage the business and market the business effectively. Um, but that's been really our 11 year mission of, of chipping away at that. Um, and I think that we've come a long ways. We're not where we wanna be yet, uh, but we think our platform, which is Marketing 360, is, is pretty close to that target now. Um, so that's something that we're excited about. And in terms of that process, like give us an example of the power that's unleashed to small businesses and the kind of a way in which they're able to scale um, because of that at their fingertips and how you've helped them enable that. Yeah, so with Marketing 360, uh, for a small business, it's very powerful because uh, we've specifically built it for small business. So you, you mentioned HubSpot and um, you know, Salesforce and those, those organizations have incredible pieces of software, but um, the demographic is slightly different than ours. Ours is truly small business. So we're targeting businesses you know, that you would see in your local community, chiropractors, roofers, plumbers, uh, you know, e-commerce stores that are just getting started, retail stores, pretty much anything you would see in the, the phone book of the old days is our customer, a good local business. And so we're giving them a platform that's very easy to understand and set up, but also very robust and powerful, which is complicated to do, to make something simple but powerful at the same time. And so 
with Marketing 360, um, it has everything. So you can go in, you can get approved for payments within minutes, connect your bank account, start sending invoices or, or setting up subscription plans or setting up an e-commerce store. Um, that talks to your CRM within the platform to manage all your leads and customers. Um, and you can build automation to ask for reviews or send seasonal email campaigns. Um, you can do uh, advertising across 10 plus of the most popular digital channels today, like uh, Facebook, Instagram, Google, et cetera. Um, manage your social media scheduling. Um, it has review management similar to like a podium. So it has the power of all these big brands and products out there within one solution for a low price um, that a small business can actually afford and understand. And so it's somewhat unique in that regard of the price point and the functionality combination. Um, and then the one differentiator with us and, and most companies is you also have the talent element. So a small business can't necessarily afford a full-time marketing person, nor do they have the time because they're running their business. So they're kind of caught between a rock and a hard place. So with Marketing 360, it's nice because they can add that talent into their plan. And then they get a dedicated person that's responsible for uh, social media or content writing or digital advertising um, that takes care of that on their behalf and essentially becomes an extension of their company, which is something that's unique. Yeah, that's, that's, that's really cool, JB, because um, I would imagine that that requires, in terms of your own model, right, that requires you to have a shit ton of customers, right, in order to make that model work for, for you, you know, but um, in terms of, and you mentioned talent there, right, so in terms of kind of even strategy and services, right, that potentially might be, uh, might be associated with, with your marketing 360 uh, platform, it's, uh, I think marketing leaders in general, or, or even even people who own businesses, you know, and, and you mentioned kind of a lot of mom and pop um, kind of uh, folks, you know, that uh, you would help grow their business. They they um, they're kind of in charge or head up numerous functions that are crit critically important to a business, you know, but which don't always kind of tie directly to the company's revenue plan or to their or you know their 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 organization's revenue plan, and you know, while any marketing strategy should include functions like, you know, corporate communications and, you know, brand strategy and all that kind of stuff. Um, the really good marketing leaders, I think, or business owners, they um, also generate and maintain a strategy specific to re revenue generation, right? Do you help those companies with their overall kind of revenue marketing strategy? You know, it kind of like the, the plan that sits at the intersection of all revenue generating areas of the business. We do. Um, yeah, absolutely. That's part of the, the value of adding in like a marketing executive into your plan with marketing 360 is somebody that can help you see around the corner, try to understand what your goals are and the best strategy in order to achieve those um, in terms of revenue generation, both from a marketing perspective of achieving your goals through marketing but even your strategy of just how you implement your, your products and services, the price points, how they should be sold, the messaging um, is something that your marketing executive would, would most definitely help you achieve. Fantastic. Yeah. The, um, as, as Ross alluded to at the, uh, uh, in the, in the opening um, kind of sequence, you know, the, you, your approval rating is off the charts, right. You know, from, from, Glassdoor, you got like 82, 85% approval, um, approval rate. And, and I, I note as well recently that the founders of the business, yourself and your dad and whoever else have taken a 100% pay cut um, to kind of um, lead by example, you know. And mm -hmm. for me, you know, that type of leadership, a phrase that I, I've used before, I, th I think I've used it a few podcasts back and it, it sticks with me. Um, for, uh, has stuck with me um, for, for most of my career that, that I, um, my, an old mentor of mine used to say, is like good leaders know the way, they show the way, but most importantly, they go the way. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that seems to be what you do. Um, so, and, and, and again, you know, testament to yourself and your dad as well, you know, it's, uh, you guys are co-CEOs and kind of, you know, Co-anything usually doesn't work, you know, co-managers, um, well, except co-hosts of podcasts, right? But, um, you know, <laughs> apart from that, um, kind of, 
tell us what's the dynamic between you and your dad. How does that work so well? Yeah, you know, it, it, we've never had an issue with it. And I think it's just because we've sort of always operated that way. Um, my dad was my coach um, from a, you know, youth um, for every year, pretty much growing up. Um, so we kind of got used to that working relationship. You know, he was a coach. I, I, I played quarterback um, growing up. And uh, so we were just kind of used to it. And then when I, when I graduated college, I worked with him at Traders Network, like I said, um, for about four or five years. And then we started Madwire together. So I almost have never known any different um, than him either. So, you know, we're just used to working together. Um, you know, we're open and honest with each other. Um, there's no sugar coating. Uh, you know, we both do our part and, uh, and we know that. My dad's very good on the financial side. Um, those pieces also good with sales. Um, so he'll handle a lot of those sides of the business. I'm really good with operations, um, with the culture, with those pieces, with the technology. Um, so we definitely help each other on both sides of the fence and provide feedback and, and support as needed. But we also trust each other, you know, that we're going to do our part. And we actually have co-leaders, you know, throughout the company kind of because of the same thing, you know, certain leaders have talents in certain areas. So if you can pair up a couple of leaders that are stronger in the other and their co-partners weak parts, then they just make for a stronger team. And so it's been successful for us. Yeah, I mean, and, and it seems like people gravitate towards that as well in, in your organization, you know, I mean, it's no coincidence, right, that, you know, all, all of these approval ratings are, are you know, off the charts. And for me, um, it, it looks like, you know, inclusion and diversity are weaved into the very fabric, right, of what, of what has made your company so successful. Is that because you accept everybody for who they are? Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, I mean, everybody has certain talents that they've been given, you know, and so how do we leverage that? And uh, if we can pair them up with people that have talents in areas maybe where they're weak, then that makes for a stronger team. And so it's about getting people in the right spot. And we, we've hired a lot of people that we hired for a particular role. Um, they had a great attitude, great effort, uh, fit the culture really well, but their skill set didn't necessarily align with that role. Rather than, you know, moving on from a person like that, we'd like to move them into a, another role that we have where they can excel, you know. And so I think the key is finding the right person that fits the culture that has the intangibles that you're looking for. And then as far as the talent piece goes, just try to fit them into a spot where that talent can be uh, something that they maximize. Yeah, I mean, the, you've given us a little bit of insight into uh, with respect to um, your own kind of approach and um, your, your own view on, on learning. And, you know, er, early in your career, you were willing to take a role and, you know, not, not be paid and um, purely because you wanted to learn and, and, and you had this appetite and, and you know, probably from your football career, you have this competitive nature to, to want to do better and want to be better. You know, I love the fact that you guys have a chief training officer. It's, it's, um, it's kind of a title you don't see much in organizations and you also have a chief experience officer, you know, so um, it seems like training is important to you guys. Yeah, absolutely. It's so critical. You know, you have to set people up for success and, you know, we, when we started, you know, we didn't have nearly as good of training. We just kind of threw them to the wolves and let them come out leading the pack, you know, <laughs> like that old saying goes. Um, but over time, we started to understand exactly what training needed to be and how we wanted to make sure everybody was prepared to be successful. And then we put that person in place. And so it's no different than athletics. You know, you don't just show up to the first game and try to play and see what happens. You know, you spend a lot of time going through training camp and learning the plays and the fundamentals and down to the finest detail before you step onto the field. And so you need coaches for that. Um, and so that's what that training person is, is it's preparing them for game day um, when they're actually going to do their job or work with a customer and you want them to be as prepared as possible. So it's very critical. So it sounds like you um, came from um, 
a very kind of value orientated household. Your, your dad was your coach in a sporting context. And I always encourage people to play team sports because it really gives you that sense of camaraderie and being able to align around a single goal. But I always learned my um, kind of formal leadership training um, from the likes of Ken Blanchard, etc. You know, I went through a very corporate structure um, where this was prescribed, right? Whereas I think what I'm hearing here is you come from a very value-orientated, home-taught um, um, kind of system of coaching and, and being betterment. Now, my question is, when you assign the chief training officer, how do you formalize that and kind of maintain your core values, but also have a structure that you can replicate and scale throughout the you know, 500 employees, like what did that journey look like and how did you kind of document and formalize it and hold folks accountable to what you held true? Yeah, well, you know, whenever we move somebody into leading a new department, um, we've always gone off of the stay ready mindset of, you know, everybody wants to be in charge of an opportunity like that, but they have to stay ready you know, because you never know when it's going to come. And so you're, you're living, your interview for that role is actually every day that you've been here. Every day is a living interview. So when a new role like that comes up, you know, we're going to look at the, the interviews available to us based on the body of work of the people that we have. And uh, the, the individuals that we think are the best fit are those that we're, that we're living in the stay ready mindset. We move them into that role because we just know that that's the right person for the fit there. Um, and so we had um, individuals for like the experiencer officer, the training officer that we just knew would excel um, because they've demonstrated that every day and they fit the culture and the standard and the, the attention to detail that would be needed for something like that. So we had a high level of confidence that putting them in that role, um, we would be, you know, we'd have a successful outcome. Um, we've generally done that. We, we have not hired from the outside. It's very rare. Um, pretty much every role here has been hired from within. Um, and so it's individuals that have sort of risen to the top. That's how we've done it. And tell me about some of the core values that those individuals um, uh, have when they are in that stay ready mindset. Like what, what are the key traits that you look for in that person that you find maybe are hard to train, the glint in their eye, that kind of level of enthusiasm. What does that look like for you? What is, what is a rock star, I guess, is my real question there. Well, somebody for a role like that or any leadership role is somebody that, that clearly demonstrates that they are passionate and actively driving success through others. Um, they're not just an individual performer, but they are, they're helping others perform well around them. Uh, they're trying to make processes better. They're always working to improve the organization and the team as a whole. Um, they're good team players. That type of an individual is somebody that you know is going to be a good team leader. Um, if they're a good individual performer, um, but they don't step outside of that box and try to make the process better, of the team better, you know, proactively present ideas and feedback for improvement, then they're probably just best being left as an individual performer, which is, which is fine. You know, you need to have individual performers. Um, that's critical, but um, that may not be the best person to lead a team. And so those are the types of things that, that we would look for, for somebody that's going to be in a role that's, that's overseeing something very important in, in a larger team. So JB, I mean, you're, you're clearly a, a really, really strong leader and, and um, you know, it, it's very apparent that you love leading and, and, and building teams. Um, so kind of give us some hacks, will you, or maybe your, your top three tips for, you know, any fledgling CEOs out there that are listening to this or, or any leaders but what are the top three things or some things they really need to know to, to successfully build teams? Yeah, um, absolutely. I can just speak from experience here and some of the things that have worked well for us, which might be helpful. But um, the first thing is, is an A plus strategy plus C plus people equals C plus results. Uh, but A plus people plus C plus strategy equals B plus results. Uh, it doesn't work the other way around. Nice, love it. I think we spend a lot of time on strategy, um, but actually we fail to spend time on the people to execute the strategy. So the people is the number one thing. And 
Um, another tip I could pass along that, you know, for us, I think is simplified leadership and how we think about it. And that is that championship leaders build championship teams, which drive championship performance. And the beautiful thing is, is if you have championship leaders that build championship teams, the performance piece just takes care of itself. And so it starts with the leaders. And I think for the leaders, their number one goal is just to create clarity and alignment um, with the organization. And so I break that down into five pieces, which is number one, the mission. There's still a lot of businesses. If you, if you pop quiz their employees and say, hey, what's your mission? They don't know it. They can't clearly articulate it. Uh, it has to be something that is continually reiterated and the entire organization, you know, can recite it word for word. It needs to be very simple, you know? So for us, that's, we help small businesses grow and their local communities glow and that's it. And, and everything we do is behind that mission because if we can achieve that mission, we know we're making an impact. If you help a small business grow, it puts foods on tables, it funds charities, it puts kids through college. So we just need to do that one thing well and we make an impact. Um, so that's number one. Um, number two is the vision. You need to have a clear vision um, for the organization. Where are we going? People want to be on a journey. Nobody wants to be standing still. So the vision is what journey are we on, you know, so that people can get behind that journey. Um, for us, it's becoming a technology first company that builds the, the world's best singular platform to help a small business grow. And that there's a lot to that um, and making that happen. That's going to be a very long journey and there's going to be some storms that hit. Um, but that's our goal, that, and that's what we're on. Um, number three is the strategy, which is the plan to execute the vision. Like, how are we going to make the vision happen? So the strategy is the road mapping, um, the phasing. Like, how are you going to get there when you break it down? Um, and then number four is the goals. What, what are the goals? What are those key KPIs? What are those milestones that we need to achieve along the way in order to achieve our mission and, and get where we're going? And then number five is the personnel. And the personnel is the people that make up the championship team. Um, and then as far as championship team goes, that's really just two buckets. That's culture and execution. So you need to build the culture of a championship team. Um, and when you think about a championship team, you know, they're different. You think about a championship team and another team, you know, a championship team has a particular bond. Um, they understand uh, the strategy, the vision, the mission, they're behind it. 100%. Uh, they have each other's back. There's a lot of trust there. Um, and then they execute, right? They're just really good at execution, attention to detail. Um, so you need a leader that's going to be able to um, instill that. And so for us, for culture, you know, we break that down into values. And so I, I think each organization needs to have some kind of values. And there's still a lot of businesses when you talk to them, you know, they they have values they kind of talk about, but they don't have a specific, you know, document of what our values are. And for us, you know, just as an example, we've just broken down the word Madwire to get our values. So uh, the M stands for mission-minded. We just want everybody to be mission-minded all the time. Um, the A is attitude and effort. And those are two things that you can control that, ha that take absolutely no talent. So there's, that's non-negotiable. You should always have a good attitude, good effort. D is delightful and diverse. You know, we want a diverse culture, lots of different, you know, two heads are stronger than one and a hundred, you know, way stronger than 10. So we want to be diverse, but we also want to be delightful. We want to be, you know, enjoyable to be around for our teammates and our customers. And then W is winner's mindset. You know, when you think about how hard should I work? Well, how hard does the winner work? You know, that's the standard. Um, so we want to have a winner's mindset. And then I is to be innovative, which means we are, we lean into technology. We're always willing to try new things and evolve. And then R is resilient. You know, we are open to change. We can get through the change curve quick. You know, we're willing to adjust because, you know, that's what's needed to be resilient. And then E is execution excellence. And, and we have huge signs on our walls here that say execution excellence is our standard and our standard is non-negotiable, which means you're always doing the little, the little things, the extra things. If there's trash on the ground when you're walking down the hall, you don't ignore it and walk by it. You pick it up and you throw it away, you know? Um, and so that's our culture. Um, and those are the values behind it. 
Um, and then excellence kind of, you know, bridges into execution, which is, you know, there's a lot behind execution, but it's about how are you, you know, continually gathering feedback from your customers and your team to make your processes better, you know, because execution is about process improvement. It's about if something works for you, are you sharing that so that everybody on the team can benefit from that? Um, you know, what are the clear goals? Are we holding each other accountable? Those things are all underneath execution. So um, with championship leaders doing the five main things that I touched on in order to develop a championship team that has great culture and great execution, championship performance just happens automatically, right? It just happens by default. And so that's why I think the team's most important because we happen to be doing small business, you know, technology and marketing and everything, but we could pick a totally different business model tomorrow if we wanted to and do something completely different. And I think we'd be successful because it comes down to the team. That's the most important thing. Man, that is some impressive stuff there. And, and it seems like that's not the first time you've, you've walked through, you've walked through that stuff, you know, in, in terms of being, uh, being absolutely deliberate about um, kind of what, what you uh, want represented across the organization. And it's, um, I was thinking two things there when, when you were walking through all of that. The first thing was like, oh shit, I should be taking notes. And that's how, that's how impressive that stuff was. And the second thing was like, how do I get a job there? <laughs> so, 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 but in terms of the, um, one of one of the uh, one of the elements that you walk through around kind of innovation and a, and a culture, uh, innovative culture and a culture of innovation, um, etc. You know, it, uh, what what's the next big thing coming down the tracks for digital marketing? You know, I mean, we're hearing about omni-channel is so important. You know, to kind of reach customers, uh, personalization is huge. Um, you know, customers are are highly likely to to interact. Uh, with you again and again, or or even in the first instance, if you know the the way that um, you, you you kind of uh, intercept them is is hugely personalized. You know we're hearing about you know ABM, we're hearing about kind of you know revenue attribution as being the key to understanding you know that kind of customer touch point journey, and then again you know being able to optimize your your customer acquisition costs and your lifetime values and all that kind of stuff, right? But from the expert, right, the guru, um, what, what do you think is, is the next big thing um, uh, coming down the tracks? Uh, what are the emerging trends for digital marketing? Yeah, well, I think it's, you know, kind of what I touched on earlier with, you know, the singular platform and getting your business completely onto one singular platform where you can manage and market your business from one place is really the first step. Um, and so I think we're gonna see an evolution of that where all of the a la carte type of uh, tools that you're using, maybe you're using you know, this product for email marketing and this one over here for social media, and then you log in over here to do your ads, that's all going away. And there's gonna be a singular login to manage everything. And then what that's gonna do is open up the door to true automation where you're still going to need a visionary. You're going to need, you know, when I think about that, I think about like the Nike commercials. There's a, there's a human brain behind that concept and that's not going to change. You can't replace that with AI. Like you're going to need somebody to come up with that story. Um, that's something that we'll always need creative people for. Um, and we'll need creative people in order to create the videos and the branded assets that will still exist. But as far as clicking the go button, once those things are done, in order to run the marketing across you know, hundreds of channels and then optimize based on performance in order to drive the best return on investment over a period of time, that's gonna be 100% automated. So you're gonna see a lot of AI come into place on that piece where theoretically I could say, hey, target the whole world, here's a million dollars, run it for 30 days, I'm gonna hit start and the computer program would run that campaign for 30 days and every single second would be optimizing it to be more efficient. And by the end, it might only be spending $100,000, uh, but it is absolutely an unbelievable return on investment because it's fine-tuned it down to the most perfect audience in the perfect areas at the perfect time, you know? 
that will be all programmed, which a lot of that with the ad management and those pieces is still pretty manual. And so I think we're going to see a big evolution on that front, but we're really leaning into brand, you know, with our talent pieces, you know, people that are really good at creating stories and writing good content, creating good videos to create the campaign that's going to be, you know, eye catching and compelling and inspiring or funny. Um, and then working on the technologies on the back end so that we can get the most out of that. And I think that's where it's going. Wow. Um, I suppose one of the things that struck me and, and on your homepage, it, it's right there. We help small businesses grow. I, I come from a small family business background as well. And I can totally appreciate the value set there. But I'm curious, I know, from your own perspective to learn, like, will you see the business scale into the enterprise or will you remain in small business? And tell me a bit about why you're so passionate about helping small businesses grow, if you would. Yeah, we don't have any desire to move into the enterprise um, at all, really. We, we really love working with small business. It's very challenging. Um, but we, we actually kind of like that about it because we feel like we make the biggest impact, you know, like if you help a small business grow from one person's dream to hiring, you know, their first employee and then growing to 10 people, that's pretty awesome, you know, and we hear those stories all the time. And so we really like that. And we also like to just, you know, we come from a trading background. So we said when we started Madwire, you know, one thing we wanted to make sure we do was built the company. Um, so that it was uh, very diverse in terms of our account mix. So we didn't want to have one particular vertical mm -hmm. uh, because if something happened in that vertical, just like we're seeing right now where fitness clubs were shut down. If, if you had a company that did nothing but fitness clubs, you got hit pretty hard. Same thing with restaurants. So, you know, you want to be diverse. We want to have, a, you know, lots of customers in totally different industries. So during a tough time, some do good, some, some don't do good, but we're pretty diverse there. And then we would rather have, you know, a million hundred to thousand dollar a month accounts rather than 10, you know, hundred thousand dollar accounts. We'd rather have it that way. So that way, if we lose some customers here and there, it's not a huge impact like it is with an enterprise company. And so those are some of the thoughts we had coming in. Our trading background was helpful because you wanted to have a diverse portfolio. You didn't want to have just one stock or one commodity because, you know, if you had a bad, you know, bad day that crushes the portfolio. But if you had hundreds of good stocks and commodities, well, yeah, then it's pretty, it's pretty, uh, pretty level in that scenario. So that's kind of been our goal. Okay. And, and what sort of size businesses typically would you work with? Is there, because I know in different global locations, different, there are different definitions for what an SMB looks like. I know in North America, it's different to some of the European countries, I suppose. Um, what would be, what would be that definition for you? And what would be your typical um, size business that you guys would work with? It's generally a small business with less than a hundred employees. Okay. And I would say our average, our average customer is around 10 to 20 employees. And I guess in, in, current, in terms of the current climate um, and the pandemic that we've seen globally, what trends are you seeing in terms of industries that are, are you know, having some challenges and then folks that are, are, are doing well? Well, e-commerce is killing it right now. <laughs> sure. So that's a huge, huge growth uh, area. Other businesses that relied 100% on face-to-face -face interaction, um, obviously are having some challenging times here right now. So it's forcing them to think outside of the box on other ways that can generate revenue or customer experiences that don't require face-to-face uh, -face interaction necessarily. So um, we're seeing more and more businesses you know, lean into technologies for you know, paying their bill online, you know, there's still a lot of businesses that just took, you know, cash and checks, surprisingly. So more and more are moving that way. Um, and so anything you can think of on that front in order to deliver your product or service in the digital world in some capacity, I think is, are those are the verticals that are doing really well. So the, in terms of your own business growth, um, JB, um, and you, um, you help thousands of businesses to, to kind of grow their top line, grow their customers, grow their revenue. How do you grow your business? Tell us about how you get your customers. 
Well, what we always say is we eat our own dog food. So I was just going to say you drink your own champagne, right? That's, exactly. that's I, I would imagine. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. We actually use Marketing 360 for ourselves. Um, we do all inbound marketing, essentially. So we don't do any cold calling. Um, we do our own, our own advertising to generate our own leads, and we work those leads. So um, it's a big, you know, when you grow your organization, it comes down to, it's pretty much a big math equation you know, um, in terms of how many salespeople do we need to service the leads and how many leads do we need to feed the salespeople to open the amount of accounts we need based on our average account size to drive the revenue that helps us to reach our goal, et cetera. So um, right now we generate about 4,000 leads a month um, that are looking for our solutions. And the, those what's are your coming. definition of a lead? That's somebody that goes to marketing360.com and uh, fills out the form there, which is a demo for Marketing 360. We actually have next month um, a new conversion process, which will allow people to create a free account and use the platform in, a, in some capacity for free. So we're kind of excited about that, but it's basically lead forms coming in through our site. So in terms of revenue attribution, not too difficult to figure out where, right. <laughs> where, right. where they're coming from. Right. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. that's cool. That's cool. And the, um, so in terms of your structure, then your, your, your sales structure. Um, so do you have like, you know, inbound SDRs or BDRs and kind of account managers and salespeople and customer success, or do you have hubs or kind of, you know, what, what, what's your model there? Is it hunter farmer? Is it pods? Is it, you know, what, what's your sales structure to optimize kind of all of those leads? Yeah, we have, we do the hunter farmer. So we have salespeople that do nothing but work leads and close deals. And so they work their sales process. Um, and then once a customer signs on with us, it's a six month agreement. Once they agree to that, it then goes over to a marketing executive and or um, account management person. Um, and they're in a team and they manage the account thereafter. So they're responsible for retention, upsell, customer satisfaction, et cetera. So um, once the salesperson closes the deal, you know, they just move on to the next They They don't, they don't have to do anything really after that. It moves to a different team. Very good. Yeah. The, um, all of this is, is, is incredible, JB, you know, I'm, I'm personally overwhelmed, you know, so could you please just give us like something that went disastrously wrong for you in the early days so that you can make us all feel relatively normal, please. Um, <laughs> the, <laughs> so, so in the early days and, and you know, being a, um, I, I founded a couple of, uh, and successfully exited some, some software companies um, myself. And, you know, I know how difficult and challenging it can get and how lonely you can get sometimes. And, you know, so kind of give us, um, Give us some uh, um, kind of insight into one or two kind of scary or bad times or whatever in the early days and kind of how you got through it or whatever. If you can remember, if you can remember 11 years back or whatever, was, was there any kind of uh, points in, in that journey that you said, mm, I don't know about this or you ran into some tricky stuff, but you, ma you obviously managed to get through it. But could you could you um, could you share with us um, anything in the early days or even recently that um, didn't go so well for you? Yeah, you know, I mean, there's just been so many. I mean, you make so many mistakes along the way. You just adjust and you keep moving forward. And we've we are making mistakes still every single day, all the time. Um, you just have to keep adjusting, learn from it, and move forward. Um, and so, you know, you need to have a short memory too. So to a certain extent, it's kind of hard to even think about that stuff. Cause you just, you got to move beyond it. You can't live in the past, but some things just sticking out, you know, as you were talking there, uh, for me, were some products we developed and, you know, abandoned, they just didn't work. Uh, we put a lot of time and effort into them and just didn't really go anywhere. And one of them was something we call the mad noodle which the Mad Noodle was uh, basically a gift card auction site. And we, were, we built that product so that we could actually sell our customers gift cards. So by marketing that brand, the goal was to create visibility to these small businesses that were e-commerce so that people you know, became aware of them and then used the gift card to make a purchase in hopes that they would make additional purchases from them. So 
it was a good theory. Uh, it took a long time to build it and everything, but what we didn't realize is how much fraud there is in that industry. So we were just constantly dealing with fraud, um, which was just a never ending battle. And it was a pretty complex infrastructure to support. So it was a failure. We put a lot of time and effort into it, didn't go anywhere. We ended up punting it and moving on from it, but we learned a lot of stuff from it. Um, we now have our cafe in our building. It's called the Mad Noodle. And we used the sign and we put the sign in there. So it actually works pretty good. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> that's a great, that's fantastic. Yeah. And, and it's great that, you know, you have that agile uh, kind of um, uh, mindset. We've discussed m many, um, m many times on, on, on the show, you know, that most organizations who tout themselves as agile are lacking the one fundamental principle of agile is to kind of move on from something that doesn't work. And right. it's, it's the concept of sunk cost fallacy, you know, the tendency of people to irrationally follow through on an activity, right? That, that's not meeting anyone's expectations um, and, or, or even um, uh, products because of the time and, and money they've already spent on it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that's tough. To move on. Yeah, totally. I guess one question that struck me, um, and you know, it's, it's very apparent from the senior leaders we speak to on a weekly basis, the most successful ones without exceptions are the ones that are transparent and the ones that are humble to um, say, do you know what, I don't have all this figured out, but we're a team and we're going to do this together. I mean, I've worked in legacy organizations where leadership were almost unapproachable and infallible. And if there was a mistake, it was actually quite obvious from a systems perspective, but there was no admission, there was no transparency. And it really sets the tone for a bad um, culture of, of um, not actually recognizing your mistakes and moving on from them and actually building and being kind of open and transparent. So I'm curious to know what leaders inspire you, JB, and where do you draw some of your kind of learnings from in the bigger picture as a senior leader? Yeah. Um, I mean, so many leaders, it's hard to even think of them all. I mean, a lot of, a lot of them are people from just my, my actual life, you know, um, people that I work with every single day, coaches I had growing up, you know, you learn so much. Um, I guess what I do now, or actually what I really have done for pretty much 11 years is I use YouTube. Um, it's just my personal process. When I go to and from work, I will, uh, I will just stream my YouTube feed. And so what I do is, you know, throughout the week, you know, maybe before I'm going to bed or whatever, I'll be going through my YouTube homepage and just adding interesting videos to my watch later list. And those things will usually be you know, the algorithm knows what I like. So it's going to be leadership related, sales related, marketing related, um, sometimes motivational, stuff like that. And I'll, if I see something that's interesting, I'll add it to my watch later. And then when I go to and from work, I just stream it. And so I just learned so much, you know, it's, it's things about uh, leadership and sales and marketing and, and beyond. And sometimes just random stuff, hobbies that I like. So there's some variety there. Um, and every once in a while, I'll sneak a song in there, which is a nice change up. Um, but most, most of the time, I'm just getting educational type content. And, you know, this is from people that I've never even heard of most of the time, you know, but it's, it's really great information that always keeps your mind turning. And I found, you know, if I ever start feeling a little bit burned out or uh, feeling stuck, um, the more of that type of content I listen to, the more that it excites me, especially if it's learning type of content, um, because it gets the wheels turning. And, and personal development, I think, is just so important. And so spending that time, you know, to and from work for me is, is all I really need. And it's about a 20-minute commute for me. So it's about 40 minutes a day of content that I'm consuming. Yeah, it's the very same habit I have in my life. Actually, I do it in the gym and uh, I, I got YouTube premium a number of years ago and my brother actually recommended it um, whereby you can uh, close the app down and it still is active in the background. I actually use yep. it for audio more so than I do for the video element of the fact that it's a video channel. But totally. I think, yeah, I, I, uh, I live by that. Uh, I read Tony Robbins' Unlimited Power when I was 17 and that changed my life. And it was that book that set the stage for a continual learning environment. Um, so yeah, I can certainly relate to that. I suppose as we wrap up here, um, maybe if you could share with our audience some of the things that you know, really uh, you've been the most proud of from an impact perspective. Maybe it was a small change you, you made or instilled in the organization that made a dramatic impact to your organization and your customers, if you would. 
Yeah, you know, um, I would say probably getting through this COVID situation, to be honest okay. with you. We had a lot of uh, a lot of restaurant customers. We had a lot of fitness customers and um, a lot of local businesses that were shut down, at least for a short period of time there. So that was pretty scary. Um, we were trying to see ahead of it as best we could. I think we did as good of a job as you could have as an organization and as a team to remain nimble and to get through it. We made significant changes and adjustments very quickly and proactively to get ahead of it, to both support our team as much as possible, but also our customers. Um, and I think, I mean, some people were even thinking we were you know, maybe doing it too early, uh, but then in hindsight, it was actually just in time in terms of the adjustments that we made. So we had to furlough some people. We adjust compensation plans. Obviously, you know, like we mentioned earlier in the call, my dad and I, you know, we, we reduced our pay to zero to try to maintain as many jobs as possible. Um, we adjusted plans for customers. I mean, it was just crazy times, um, but ultimately we got through it and, you know, we just kept telling the team, we're trying to build an organization that lasts a hundred plus years. So, um, you know, we have, we, we're going to have to sacrifice for each other a little bit during this time period in order to do that because the number one priority is to survive. And so we got through it, we survived. And now, you know, thankfully this week, actually, we brought back the very last furlough that we had. So everybody's back. We're actually hiring new people again. So wonderful, uh, very challenging times, but we got through it. That's a perfect example in my mind. And I'm a big believer in the fact that it's not about what happens to you. It's about what you decide to do next. So yeah you know, and how you react to that situation. I know tons of people who were put up against the wall and um, just, just caved, right? And others who had far worse situations and came out the other side, much stronger people and ultimately more successful. So I think that one thing for me, um, and that's a perfect example. Well, look, I, I, I thank you um, uh, intently for uh, your inspired content today on the discussion. I think it's added a ton of value to the audience and it's great to learn about you and the journey you've been through in the last 11 years. So really wanted to thank you for taking the time today. Yeah, thank you very much. I'm glad to be here and I really appreciated the time as well and the conversation. So thank you. Thanks, JB. Yeah, wonderful, uh, wonderful last hour we spent with you there. And um, no doubt there is... Uh, there's tons of value there for, for our audience. Um, um, thank you so much. You've been listening to the Global Tech Leaders Podcast, designed for both established and aspiring career-focused tech rock stars, as well as helping leadership figure out how to speak global in today's multicultural world. For further details, check out sf-talent.com.